HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Greenhorns Radio. I'm your host, Severin. And this is another episode, hopefully useful to you. If you're thinking about season extension in particular, my wonderful guest, Vinny, is coming to us live from, is it Baltimore? Hey, Vinny, are you Hi, there? Hi, how are you, Severin? Yes, Hi, I am. Happy well. Food Day. Happy Food Day to you. Yes. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, you know, I am, Food Day. Well, I am from Baltimore. I'm actually, I'm in Brooklyn, New York right now. Golly Moses, so, all the balls roll downhill to Brooklyn. Yes. Yes. And I'm excited to be talking to you today. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm 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 excited to talk to you too, and I'm excited to know if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and your project to our happy radio listeners. Absolutely. So my name is Vinny Bevavino. Um I am from the Washington DC, Baltimore area. Um, up in Brooklyn, New York, because I work, um, I have a consulting company called Seed and Cycle, where I help urban farmers and small farmers build inf- infrastructure to grow more food. So I'm in, Bal- I'm in Brooklyn right now building a hoop house in Crown Heights, um, which is a simple greenhouse structure that, that uh, will help them grow seedlings and extend their growing season uh, to grow more food for their community. Um, and I've helped a number of organizations throughout the Mid-Atlantic region from Washington, D.C., uh, Baltimore, and that area do the same, also design composting systems for schools, uh, and just helping urban farms and urban farm organizations kind of conceptualize what's their goals and objectives and trying to help them uh, be successful. So, yeah, my company is called Seed and Cycle. 
what? So you're helping them conceptualize, but are you also helping them stretch plastic? Yeah. So there's the work that I'm doing in Brooklyn is physical. I'm building a hoop house right now. We should be finished tomorrow um, on Kingston Avenue at a high school. So it's um, that's a lot of my work is not so not really what you typically consider consulting, but uh, is more just contracting. You know, helping them helping this community build a uh, a hoop house or a greenhouse. Uh, but I also have worked in urban farms and worked in urban farm organizations and have worked with others and am now consulting uh, to help people write strategic plans and logic models or even write grants and kind of help them figure out what they're trying to do and how to make it, how to, how to do it better. Okay, so so here's the ultimate meta-narrative that I'm trying to get, get across in my um, growing understanding of the urban food revolution is that we have a lot of, and I want you to disagree with me and then add on top a layer. The project is re-regionalizing our food system. The methodology is various. One of the key strategies is figuring out how to maximize food production on pieces of vacant land, particularly vacant land that's associated with already existing institutions that have a stake in healthy food, like hospitals, food banks, schools, etc. And the project is figuring out which foods make sense to be grown in those precious little urban bits of land, how to do it in a way that's safe and profitable for those who engage in it, and how to do it for as much of the year as possible. Okay, now your turn. Okay, well, I would start by I, I like to have a market-driven um, answer. or you know, I like answering it with how is the food going to be used Who's buying the food and where is the food going? And is there a way, is there a niche that can be filled? Because what I see way too often are urban farms or small farms that are really de- that are way too dependent on grants, way too dependent on things other than growing food. And I really am trying to push these organizations to figure out a, a market niche that needs to be filled, be entrepreneurs, and raise their own revenue by growing food, not by writing grants. So let's take your example of a hospital. My first thing would to go right to the hospital cafeteria and to the food buyers and produce buyers at the cafeteria and ask them what they're buying and what are they buying a lot of and figure out what you can buy, or what, what you can grow, excuse me. Um, so if they have a lot of cantaloupe and pineapple in their fruit salad, maybe that's not the best use of a small urban farm space. But if they also have... Um, spring mix and salad mix or other leafy greens that we could try to grow year-round, that would be what I would try to hone in on. So it would look a lot less, lot less like a large garden where you're growing a lot of everything. But I would encourage this you know, hypothetical organization to focus in on meeting specific demands from this hospital or school, high school, wherever you're at, college, and uh, to hone, yeah, to hone in on those products, so uh, and not to grow a lot of everything. What, you, what you're saying basically is that you have more faith in photosynthesis than philanthropy. I have, yeah, I think so. I have more faith in photosynthesis. Yes, exactly. And I'm, and what what I'm most excited about, but also at the same time most frustrated about, is that I know that urban farming can hold its own. 
that I know that there's that we can create jobs and these are well-paying jobs and I think that we can we can do this ourselves and we don't need philanthropists to uh, subsidize it. Now, I'll put a big asterisk next to that. Okay, Urban farming does need no, does need some subsidies. I think that land value is obviously too expensive to downright buy it to farm on, but that's okay because we have plenty of vacant space in, in cities to, to farm on. And also the upfront capital, a lot of people don't have the means to start a farm the way that it really should be started, at the scale and the, and the intensity that it should be started at, um, meaning that they don't have enough money to put in the proper soil or the hoop houses or the wash station and cold storage. And that, so they're going to, so I think those are the things I would like to, to look at and how we can overcome those barriers, how micro loan programs or, or loan programs or low interest loans could replace grants and how we can get, uh, get more people farming, more jobs created inside cities, and also how these farms inside cities can coordinate and cooperate with rural farms so that that cantaloupe that was that I referred to in that fruit salad could be grown, um, you know, upstate because I'm in Brooklyn right now, or um, you know, like in the rural in the rural tier of of a metropolitan area, whereas the 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 salad, the lettuce, and the spinach can be grown in more urban areas in smaller spaces. So so okay, so this is good. Let's get a little bit. Let's just while we're in this topic, let's go really practical for a second. The key crops for growing in urban places include greens. What else? Herbs. Well, I don't want to. It's. Hard. I don't think. Well, give first it all of all, the, the, for me, the okay. No, 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 no. I want to give it all away. I really do want to <laughs> give it a lot, but I don't really have the answer. Um, but for me, my perfect urban farm crop is one that is that takes up very little space one that uh, has a very quick seed to harvest time and one that you can harvest number of, a number of times at, in a row before you are so like done with it. Your perfect crop is like mustard. Sure. Yeah. My perfect crop would be mustard or collards or kales or any kind of the brassicas. Um, or, uh, and that's why I think urban farms are really getting into spring mixes and salad mixes, spinaches, um, and other leafy greens. And that's becoming a trend, I see. There's a huge market now, for that. What else, what, market, what else you know, do you see, Benny? What else do you see, Benny? Tell us, tell us some other problems that are coming up or some cool things that you just noticed this week as you're bringing your fresh eyes to a, a fresh set of problems. I'm sorry, you said other problems that I'm, I'm experiencing? Yeah, or solutions. Whatever. Well, what's the, what's the news my, from the, the front? I think the biggest problem, okay, I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll answer that with an example in Baltimore. There's a lot of, Baltimore has a thriving urban farm scene, community, where there's, you know, there's a half a dozen urban farms that are really scaling up to be, to be major producers of spring mix, arugula, and all the things that we just talked about. And they go to the usual suspects, the high-end restaurants and grocery stores and the people that are buying it at a reasonable price per pound. And the problem is that in Baltimore, it's, the market's getting a little flooded on, in that tier of the market, meaning like the, you know, the, the restaurant tier and all, the, all that stuff. And, and my 
I think the one problem right now that that we're seeing is that um, urban farms need to cooperate with each other, uh, cooperatively sell with each other to get larger markets. So I think that one major problem right now is one of scale, that people aren't, gr- or in general, the or collectively we're not growing enough to hit the larger markets, the hospitals and the, the college cafeterias and high school, the, the, the public school systems and things like that that represent millions of dollars of, of food. Um, yep. And the second problem is that we're not working together enough so that one farm can't approach, um, you know, a large hotel because they use, you know, 20 cases of spring mix in a given dinner time. Uh, so how can we how can we collectively approach that uh, that that okay. buyer? And I think that's so what, in that's uh, what in I'm other in so. other sectors they have this thing that's called co-packing. And I know that in Detroit okay. they have this whole grown in Detroit little like city distribution, yeah. and also um, Farm Fresh Rhode Island has created this kind mm-hmm. of like aggregation yeah. software program. And and Baltimore has just started grown in Baltimore and. Uh, Really excited about working with them and trying to figure out how to how to cooperatively grow or how to cooperatively sell. Excuse me. I think that's that's where the I think that's where the future of urban farming will be at is how to not compete with each other, but how to use each other as assets. How I say, okay, you grow arugula and I'll grow radishes, and we're going to combine that into one large produce you know availability sheet and and thrive together. That's what I'm really excited oh. about. I'm really trying to. I'm very excited to pro- tra- to progress from urban farms seeing each other as competition. Well, yeah. because ultimately we aren't we aren't in competition. I mean, we we are we are no. in coalition. But in in yeah, exactly. We're not in competition, but it seems like that when you're all vying over the same you know dozen restaurants, which is the case in Baltimore, I think. Um, because Baltimore doesn't have that, the quantity of higher-end restaurants or just, you know, just full-service restaurants that um, D.C. does or New York City does. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that are eating there. So how can we tap into that? And this is, you know, even this is, this is before the conversation of how can we encourage people to eat more vegetables. I mean, this is before the you know, those are even bigger and better conversations to be having. But really, like, the people that are buying lettuce in Baltimore, how can we get that grown in Baltimore? Yeah, because it's like you're asking what the people in the hospital want, want to serve their clientele. And, and then really we should be saying, okay, now, like, what do you really want to be serving your people in the hospital clientele? Are you really going to give them cantaloupe that comes from Listeria plants in Colorado, or do you yeah. really want to be giving them locally grown, just picked this morning, greens from a high tunnel. Exactly. In Baltimore. Yeah, and, it, and, and to, their, to their defense, it takes a lot of effort. We need to figure out how to make it less uh, complicated for these produce buyers because right now they're calling up, you know, little urban farm and saying, okay, I need this, and then the urban farm comes in, and sometimes they make that order, sometimes they don't. We're not very reliable right now, you know, like as – as our, you know, we're kind of small and scrappy, and we need to be, figure out how to become more reliable and how to become more, um, just more efficient business. Coordinated. And I think that that's coordinated. A really, 
coordinated, yeah. I think that's really yeah, a, it's a, a, a foreign um, concept, for at least for me, because I come from a very, I'm a, you know, a social activist. I'm a, more, you know, a radical, I would say, and I'm now right now on the radio talking about capitalism and the the the, the benefits of a market-driven system. It's very interesting to like even hear myself speak about this because it's. Uh, it's not what I'm used to. You know, it's, I think that we're all, none of us are used to being business-like. But you know, Vinny, when the business. system fails, the activists are the one who get involved in logistics. And I think that yeah. the logistics are the place that is yeah. most compelling to me precisely because they are hard. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. by the way, have you heard about it's, that I mean, place, um, Revolution Foods? They bring all the food together to one place and then they process it all for schools because a lot of the schools don't have kitchens to chop vegetables. And then there's another group in D.C., and I forget his name. Um, what's his name? He's so nice. Anyway, he's buying produce that's seconds from farmers, and then he has ex-convicts, basically kitchen. milks the ex-convict tax loophole. Yeah, D.C. Central Kitchen. Or yeah. whatever, felons, uh, chopping and slicing and dicing and peeling cucumbers yeah. and making pickles yeah. and, and, and making pre-cut vegetables for soups and salads and salsas and everything. Um, and it's a yeah. worked up a terrific business model, charging the schools um, and also kind of milking these little mm-hmm. programs that allow him to hire felons. Yeah, I hope, that the, I hope these models are really looked at. And I know you I think you're probably talking about Dave Eggers or um, Robert Eggers. Dave Eggers is my favorite author. Robert Eggers is my favorite <laughs> organizational leader of D.C. Central Kitchen, excuse me. Uh, and D.C. Central Kitchen. He, uh, he, yeah, th- that's a, a phenomenal operation and organization and a, and a model for how we can, you know, setting aside what they're doing with, with uh, the recently con- um, people, people that are coming out, of, coming out of prisons, setting that aside. I mean, like, that's a beautiful thing that they're doing, but just that, what they're doing in terms of processing vegetables, storing vegetables, going into the Shenandoah Valley, basically, of Virginia, and buying seconds, like you mentioned, and getting it into the school system, and doing it in, and doing it in turning a profit, or at least being sustainable, financially sustainable. Um, I'm, they're not turning a profit. They're not getting rich on it, but they're, they're, they're paying their staff on it, and that's, just, that's wonderful. Well, I think we've all given up on being rich at this point. And now no. the question is, are no, we willing no. to give up being punks and think about working together in ways that are going to yield us this, like, the scale and yeah. scope and size of a solution that is commensurate with the scale and scope and size of the crisis? And what do we say to that challenge, Vinny? What's the report from Brooklyn? Well, I, th- I think that... I- well, I'm in Brooklyn right now to build this hoop house, and I really don't want to speak for... Um, the farming community. It's thriving. It's ever-changing. It's, uh, it is a, it's a machine to be reckoned with. I mean, the, the farming community in Brooklyn is um, very impressive. But I think that I can speak for what's going down and more in the Mid-Atlantic region and say that uh, where I live. And, and I think that particularly in Baltimore, the people are really looking that there's the, the you know, I think that there's been the, the first wave of farming in, in Baltimore City, and people saw the greenhouses come up, and they've seen the food trucks now. Um, the city is completely behind it. 
the, the city is excited about and looking to ways to, prom- to promote and proliferate it. The farmers, um, I think, are getting tired work to working against each other and want to farm and don't want to be writing grants and don't want to be writing, you know, managing nonprofits. And we all know that we can do it. And I think it's a really exciting time. I think the next, you know, for a year now and maybe for the next couple of years, there's going to be a big flip that we're going from, you know, a couple of years ago we went from school gardens and community gardens to urban farms. And I think now we're going to be going from urban farm nonprofits to urban farm cooperatives and collectives and really redesigning our food system uh, or at least a sliver or a sect of our food system um, so that, that – and I think it's going to result in a lot of jobs and a lot of uh, self-sufficient businesses and businesses working together. And I think what I really look forward to is the point of time when these urban farm cooperatives are now working with rural farm cooperatives and strengthening rural farm communities by buying and purchasing and distributing and processing their food um, inside the urban areas and making it easier for not just the urban farmers but for rural farmers as well. So that's where yes. I see it going. I, I feel it. I love it. I want to be there. It's going to be so great. And another yeah. one to just tag since we're like in the let's talk about cool things happening modality is little um, little city co-op, little city farms in Providence, Rhode Island, which is a cooperative of I think six urban farms, and they market collectively. They have they don't they don't all have to be at the I'm market, fami- and yeah. which, which is typical, you know, it, which is I typical in think... places like France. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we we are, it's it's interesting, we're looking, you know, the, us, meaning like the urban farmers, we are looking at rural farming cooperatives models, and what rural farming cooperatives can, how can they, like, how can we not reinvent the wheel, like, what's, and I think it goes beyond marketing, I'm really interested in healthcare, I'm really interested in, in, in health, health insurance, I'm really interested in soil and, and cooperative composting, and hoop houses are expensive, and how can we purchase metal and plastic together? Um, and obviously seeds and other, you know, mater- farm, other farming materials. Uh, I think we can really simplify and smooth out a lot of the kinks of farming through working together. Um, because none of us have enough capital to, you know, really throw down and convert a whole city, but together we do. Um, and and I, that's what I get excited about. But yeah. Uh, that group and organization, uh, that organization in Providence, Rhode Island, sounds rad, and I think that they're probably right on the mark in terms of what's what we'll see in other cities. And I and I think it's I hope I hope that it's a cooperatively business a business that's cooperatively and, and community based. Meaning that I hope that I hope that we can get not just write grants for to foundations for uh, a, a produce distribution company because I think that we can do it our own. I guess that's what it is. I think that we can I think that we can do this without relying well, on all the all I'm the, sorry to interrupt. All the I'm sorry. Grant writing. Yeah. No, go ahead. Well, just just that I mean, I feel like as soon as a couple people have written grants and figured out the software and done the logistics, it's like the 100 monkeys thing. And that, you know, every move, everything has a, a beginning and a middle and an end and 
And many of us are feeling like we're walking into the middle of something, and we're looking towards the end, and we're like, ooh, we just have to jump over, like, 20 more hoops. Um, And then we can start imagining, you know, an even better ending. But that this is a successional, it's a successional movement, and that the challenges that are kind of elders that we mentored from, the ones that they faced, are different from those who are kind of in the ED positions or kind of our parents' age people are different from what we're facing in our early careers and are different from what the opportunities will be for those just entering. And that that is the character of um, a a systems-changing movement. And that we and we have mm-hmm. to continue to let the radical punks in at the bottom, <laughs> so that they can keep pushing yeah. us forward, um, and we have to keep pushing ourselves forward. I really like where you're coming from, Vinny. It's really fun talking like this. Yeah, yeah. And I and I in no way am speaking bad to the nonprofit world or the people like the people who have come before us. And I mean they've paved a, they've paved it. Like it, we needed the grants and the foundations. Um, to 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 build our vision, and the thing is, I think that just about right now, as we're speaking, our vision is built. Like, it's not we're not done, but we we know we have the tools now. Like, we built the tools. I think that's what it is. Like, we built the tools. They're in our toolbox. Now we need to go use them. And we and like, thank you very much, foundation, and thank you very much, grant program. But I think we're cool now. It's like we're we can move out of our parents' house. And do it our do it do it our own. That's a pretty huh. stupid analogy, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll hang my head on it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well that's been that's been Vinny of Season Cycle. This is another episode of Greenhorns yeah. Radio. Every week from you, from me, from all of us. If you have comments or suggestions, thoughts or announcements, please just email them. There's a lot of events coming up here. It's fall, fall harvest, pig butchering, sausage making cider making, sheet mulching. I mean, everybody's just doing something. If they're not rat-proofing their hives, they're making mead and making beer. And if you aren't already thinking about your job for next season, I would say it's the time to go around and check out the operations you might be considering while it is still crispy and not yet soggy wet. Um, Show that you're serious and show that you're disciplined and figure out your plan ahead of time so you can rest and, and eat a lot of food over the holidays and not be a stress case. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Heritage Sport Radio, and goodbye. The following is a message from Jones Family Farms. Jones Family Farms is a 400-acre working farm offering quality agricultural products all year round, from fresh summer berries to Christmas trees in the winter, and an award-winning winery that is open from April to December. The reach of the Jones Family Farms is hard to capture, from their advocacy work through the Working Lands Alliance to ongoing classes in the Harvest Kitchen. Jones Family Farms is as passionate about education as it is about farming. Whether you're picking fresh strawberries or exploring local wines, we hope you're inspired to learn more about Connecticut farming. Visit www.jonesfamilyfarms.com for more information. 